0: Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here, welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 16. and god saw that it was good verse 19 and the evening and the morning were the fourth day open our eyes O lord we pray today that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law and i also thank you for each and every person joining me on this podcast. I ask you for special blessing and a grace and abundance of favors on each and every one of them. In the name of Jesus, amen. We find ourselves now going into the fourth day and it is instructive that I looked in the Strong's Concordance for Uh, verse 19, the word fourth, F-O-U-R-T-H, and it is defined or translated as fourth, as it said, but another definition that it is given that is twice written or stated twice is four square. Four square. Isn't that interesting? And You know, I I know when I think of four square, I think of a square or four points, you know, the four points of the compass uh, and everything that God does on day four, we're going to see that all of it has to do with the earth. And so it's quite interesting that he would deal with the earth on the fourth day or four square day. And, you know, um, a lot, that is something to just make a note of, is that in the scriptures, most of the time, or definitely more often than not, when you see the number four used, there is very often some context or something having to do with the earth. Um, The number four is mentioned probably more than any other book is going to be in Revelation. Um, Seven is mentioned a lot in Revelation also, but four is mentioned a lot. And we see there in Revelation, you know, just about all of the book is dealing with the earth, the heaven too. But there's a, you know, a vision, you know, John is taken above the earth and he's looking down upon events of the earth and God is showing him things that are happening around the earth but with respect to the number four you know we think of the four points of the compass we think of the four winds the four seasons and so forth and so on and all of these things have to do with the earth but anyway moving now into the fourth day we remember that the earth has now or is now no longer covered in water it has emerged from the waters and we also have uh, vegetation and the uh, plant kingdom has come forth so vegetation is present on the earth so the dry land or the earth is here and now let's list Go back and see what, hear what God is saying that he's going to do. So first he says what he wants. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide. Now let's just see here that he's going to tell us exactly what these are going to do. To divide the day from the night and, and I like how he places that definite article, and, and. After each thing. So, if one, he says, divide the day from the night, one, and let them be for signs, two, and for seasons, three, and for days and years. So, I guess that's actually five different things. So, there's a number of things that these are going to do. Are actually, now he goes on, and, excuse me, verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give days and light. Excuse me. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. So uh, we see the purpose. There's manifold purpose of these lights. So let's go into the purposes of these lights and some of it. Not all of it is going to be, is not going to be what we think. So first he says, let them divide the day from the night. Now that's pretty clear. We know that the sun is, you know, rules, governs over the day part of day. And then the moon uh, rules over the night. So I mean, we say, yeah, that's pretty clear. Um, we can easily discern whether the time of day that it is. But the second, he says, and let them be for signs. Now, the word sign in the Hebrew is the word oath, O-T-H, and it is translated to come. And I am reading from... Uh, the appendix, the appendix, one of the appendices of Doctor E. W. Bullinger's Companion Bible, in which he says, "Signs, therefore, of something or some one, capital O N E, some one, someone to come. Those who are those who understand them are enlightened by them." And those who do not may well be dismayed. That's what Jeremiah 10, chapter 2 says. Um, The signs in the heavens are to... God made these lights as signs to point to things to come, or indeed, he says, to point to someone to come. He said, "Are, are you saying that they point to Jesus Christ? Yes, they do. And we're going to see that. Um, I would like to read, continue to read what Dr. Bullinger says concerning signs. The stars are, quote, the stars are numbered and named. There are 12 signs of the Zodiac called the stars in Genesis chapter 37, 11 of which bowed down to Joseph's, being the twelfth. The word zodiac means the degrees or steps which mark the stages of the sun's path through the heavens corresponding with the twelve months. Now, I have to just stop right here and say this, that I know that that word zodiac is immediately going to give off some, uh, you know, don't turn the podcast off. (laughs) Um, It's because we're not talking about horoscopes or anything of that nature. As with everything else, you know, Satan is not a creator of anything. He is a fallen angel, a fallen loser angel, a fallen defeated angel, who again has never created anything? What he does do is he seeks to twist and and corrupt and misuse and distort that which God has done. Um, I'd like to just as an example, there is a um, you think of numbers. Well, numbers are very important to God. God is the, you know, creator of numbers. Uh, he wrote an entire book of numbers. There is um, the book of Daniel speaks of an angel. And I think the angel's name is even given. I will have to look check that out. But he is, this particular angel is the keeper of the numbers or the, um, yeah, the keeper of numbers. Jesus said, the hairs on our head are numbered. Uh, the Lord, now the scripture says that the sands or the, um, sands, of the, sea, the sands on the seashore, well, the, the grains of sand are too many for us to count. Now, they are innumerable to a man, but not to God. God knows exactly how many grains of sand there are as well as the stars of the heaven which are multiplied multiple times more than the sands of the sea or the uh, grains of sand. But he knows the number of the stars. So, you know, numbers are God's possession. He knows all about numbers. Uh, What we are not talking about here in any way is numerology or horoscopes um, or readings of our and what the numbers in our lives mean. We're not talking about anything like that. So um, I wish to disavow you of any of that even now, and we will go and just continue to see that we are all Bible-based today. Let me continue reading the words of Dr. Bullinger. Quote, the stars were all named by God. That is according to Psalm 147 and verse 4. And I'll go ahead and read that now. Psalm 147 verse 4 says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by by their names. Goodness back to Dr. Bullinger, most of these names have been lost, but over 100 are preserved through the Arabic and Hebrew and are used by astronomers today. Though the translations are somewhat speculative, i.e., he speaks of Job chapter 9 and verse 9. And let me go ahead and read this, where what he says that Job refers to... Arcturus, the bear, Orion, and Pleiades. and I really don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly at all. You'll all forgive me if I'm not. And let me just go to job 9:9 9, 9 and see what that says. Job chapter 9, let me just start with verse five. Job is speaking of God and or well, let's just say verse four. He is wise in heart, And mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. Who, uh, indeed, who has hardened himself against God and has prospered. Verse 5, which removes the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger. My goodness. Verse 6, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. Which commandeth the sun, and it rises not, and sealeth up the stars. Verse 8. Which alone spreads out the heavens and treads upon the waves of the sea. Here we are in verse 9. Which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. Now, let me, um, let me read the margin. Arcturus is tra- here out of the Dake Bible says, Arcturus is the name that is still connected with the great bear, a constellation in the northern hemisphere. And it is referenced again in chapter 38 and verse 32. The notation by Orion says it is the constellation commonly known as the giant, referred to also in chapter 38 of Job, also referred to in Amos chapter 5 and verse 8. The space in the sword of the giant alone is estimated to be 2200000000000 200 billion Times larger than the sun. Goodness gracious alive. Pleiades and Pleiades. And if somebody, actually, if someone knows the pronunciation, would you put it to me in the comments, please? (laughs) Pleiades, the name given the seven stars in the neck of the constellation Taurus. And that is uh, verse 9. And then again referred to in chapter 38, verse 21. Now, concerning the chambers of the south, uh, he says here just what is referred to by the chambers of the south is not known, but the word for chambers means a private apartment of a dwelling, a private apartment of a dwelling. In verse 9, he writes, here it may mean the abode of the stars of the south or that division of the stars in the southern part of the heavens. Wow, that is a mouthful. Other references of the scriptures to in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 5 refers again to ash, which is known today as Arcturus with her sons, and I guess the and the bear with her train. Uh, this reference is also made in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 10, Amos chapter 5 and verse 8. And if y'all would like to, let's just go ahead and we'll, let me turn to those and see what they say. But this particular portion of Isaiah is talking about the eightfold, eightfold judgment in the day of the Lord, and then he says in verse 10, for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So that is another reference again too. We can also go to Amos chapter 5 and verse 8. Ah, listen to what Amos says. Chapter 5 and verse 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the dark, excuse me, and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Amen, Now, back to Dr. Bullinger. These names and the twelve signs, and you remember signs go back to our what Jesus what the Lord said in the text, Let these lights be for signs, and Dr. Bullinger is saying that these names and the twelve signs go back to the foundation of the world. Jewish tradition preserved by Josephus, assures us that this Bible astronomy was invented by Adam, Seth, and Enoch. We see evidence of it as early as Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4, where we read of the Tower of Babel having, quote, his top with the heavens, close quote. There is nothing about... The wrongly supplied italics may reach into the words, doubtless, refers to the signs of the zodiac pictured at the top of the tower, like the zodiacs in the temples of Dendera and Eshne in Egypt. Now, this is very important to note, and I would say take note of this, and this will give us much illumination and insight. Dr. Bullinger says, we have to remember that our written scriptures began with Moses approximately in 1490 B.C. or 1490 B.C. And thus, for more than 2,500 years, the revelation of the hope which God gave in Genesis 3.15, which we hadn't gotten to, but it's the promise of a Savior, the promise of a Redeemer, the promise of one who would put down and destroy the serpent. The revelation of the hope which God gave in Genesis 3.15 was preserved in the naming of the stars and their grouping in signs and constellations. Amen now the original teachings and writings that had to do with the stars and you know the study of these things uh came to be less and less after the Jews came into the writings after we had the sacred writings beginning with Moses but before that the truth was enshrined and written in the heavens. And that is what caused it is it's at the advent of the writings caused the original teaching to fade away gradually and that is what opened the door for the you know the heathen world or those who did not know the Hebrew God to pick up what you know remnants of it remained and they evolved it then into mythology and other things of that nature, as we said earlier, from whence comes horoscopes and all these types of things. Uh, but as a just to move on, and as a point of reference, Psalm nineteen uh, is a great help. It is something worth reading that will go on to this subject. But so if I can just, we don't, we could spend way, way, way too much time on this day's worth on it. But I would just to suffice it to say, to give you a short wrap up, uh, let's just say that the Virgo relates to the Virgin uh, who the New Testament begins with the Virgin and ends with the lion, Leo. Just think of it that way. Um, But out of um, I will just read some of Dr. Bullinger's notes. The Virgo. The prophecy of the promised seed, Libra, the Redeemer's work, grace, Scorpio, the Redeemer's conflict, indeed. And that Scorpio is also referred to in Psalm 91. Um, I think it says verse 13. Uh, Sagittarius, the prophecy fulfilled, Capricornus, the prophecy of deliverance, Uh, Aries, Prophesied deliverance fulfilled. Remember the sign of Ares is also the ram. That's the salvation. The um, the ram became the symbol of salvation. Also, the ram's horn, the shofar, again, uh, talking about God's salvation. The three parts of the Libra, the crux being the cross endured, the lupus, the victim slain, the corona, the crown bestowed, on and on and on. And indeed, you know, the scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens tell the gospel story, and indeed they do. And so back to Genesis 1 and uh, 14, God says, let them be for signs. So all of the stars of the heaven are for signs that will point to Jesus Christ, and in fact, even though we say the study of the stars, even though it dropped off with um, after Moses wrote the law, uh somebody who continued with continued with that was Daniel, and Daniel, through his study of the you know the signs and Of the stars, he was able to write, and as he, you know, by the Spirit of God, many of the prophecies concerning that. uh, Daniel was a high government official, and it is the case that in his day, many of the uh, kings that he served would refer to him uh, as one of the, I think Daniel was called the Rav Mag which was the head magi, okay? You can just kind of take that forward. It's the same science, and it was the same people who, along the course of Daniel or in the tradition of Daniel, who studied these things were known as the magi who sought out the child, Jesus, when and where he was to be born. How did they know that? through their study of the skies and what the signs or the stars were saying. And then he, you know, how we we know how they said, we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. So it was so evident. They had it down. They knew it. And as we know, the star led them directly to him. But anyway, I think we need to. Just move on with our lesson. So God said, let them be for signs. And then he said, and for seasons. Now, these seasons, again, are not referring uh, specifically to the four seasons of winter, spring, summer, and fall. And Dr. Bullinger refers to these seasons as cycles of time. The figure, and he gives the Hebrew word in Genesis one fourteen, emphasizes this. And for seasons and for days and years, the word means appointed times. So thus, the sun, moon, and stars are for signs, things to come, and for seasons being appointed times. And then there's also cycles, uh, which lists a few here. The cycle, there's the 24-hour cycle. So there's the 24-hour 24 24 hour day cycle with the evening and morning going on. There's the revolution of the moon around the earth. That's the lunar cycle. That's another cycle. The daily revolution of the sun, the solar cycle, you know, um, the beginning of a seven-day cycle, the beginning of the week, the first day of the week sets off another cycle. Um, but the seasons are the appointed times. The seasons are translated Moed. It's the Hebrew word Moed, M-O-E-D. Many of you may heard of it, but it Moed refers to appointments. Um, if you like, when I get my calendar, or many of you, when you get a new calendar at the first of the year, or if you use your calendar on your phone or your electronic device, there's certain days you might circle. Like, I'll usually, you might circle your birthday and your families. You circle all their birthdays. You circle the days that you uh, plan on taking vacation and different things like that. You circle all kinds of days, and then... To a lesser degree, but still you'll circle days that you have a... You say, well, I have a dental appointment Thursday at 2 o'clock or on and on. Well, those are appointments. Well, God also has appointments. And he has a sacred calendar. And these also, I would suspect that many of you are familiar with. They... You... If you look... In the law, you are, and when I say the law, I'm talking about the Torah or the first five books. And I think in Exodus and Leviticus in particular, God instructs Moses of certain times that he wants his people to come before him. And these are there are uh, seven major appointed times. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse one says this and the lord spake unto moses saying speak unto the sons of israel and say unto them concerning the feasts of the lord which you shall cause to be publicly heard to be holy assembly even these are my feasts and these is what these are they passover unleavened bread First fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Those are the main uh, feasts. Those are the feasts of the Lord. And then there are other holidays and appointed times, uh, such as uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means head. Hoshanah, year. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the year, the first day of the Hebrew year that is to be celebrated. Um, And there are other great days of deliverances that God gave to his people that he commanded that they mark and that they celebrate and make them forever as memorials. And these are appointed times. Uh, One of them is after uh, the people were saved by Queen Esther in her time, saved from uh, the plot of Haman. And that is known now. It's a great, happy celebration called, called Purim, or Purim, as some pronounce it. There's also much in scripture that speaks to appointed times and set times. One is a great example in Genesis chapter 17, and verse 21, which speaks to the birth of Isaac and God says, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto you at this set time in the next year. And then he goes on to say again in Genesis eighteen fourteen, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. So that's the seasons part. And then at the end of verse 14, he says, and for days and years. Now, you know, the the Jews, the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar uh, and the Gregorian calendar, that the Western world largely lives by is a calendar, is the lunar calendar. It is based on the lunar cycle, i.e. the moon. And indeed, uh, this is the way that the Jews would tell or would know the first day of the month is that they would watch the skies and when they would see a sliver of the moon, That is what let let them know that that was the beginning of the lunar cycle, that that was the first day of the month. And then what is it is what is interesting is that for the first 15 days of the month, the moon grows from a sliver to a shining disc. And then what is interesting to note, I'll just point this out from scripture Uh, The first, or not the first, but the 15 generations from Abraham to Solomon, the Jewish people grew from a single, brilliant iconoclast, so from one man to a powerful nation with a holy temple. But then from there, things progressively dimmed. And 15 generations later, after Solomon, the light seemingly disappeared. And then at the defeat of King Zedekiah and the Jewish people went into captivity. But the word moon in Hebrew is uh, the transliteration is. Yar ak ya'ar-ak, and oh, my goodness, I'm sh- sh- sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it means month. So the moon indeed was set, another purpose of it was to set the days and years. So the first day of the month is set by the moon. Uh, then when it's full, you know, that's the middle of the month and so forth. And so hereby we count days. And by extension, years and so forth and so on. Now, the Romans' calendar is based on the solar schedule or the schedule of the sun. I would say, and this will be a very interesting thing for you to look into. I think it will, um, uh, I think it will intrigue you greatly. And that is that if you study some of the most pivotal moments in the history of the Jewish people, even from the 1400s to present day, there was some very particular and peculiar lunar activity with a lot of red moons, blood moons, and things of that nature Uh, in the years in which there was tremendous uh, events of great, great confidence or consequence in the life of the Jewish people. For example, one of which being the Spanish, the years of the Spanish Inquisition, when the Hebrews were kicked out of Spain, which was launched, which made Christopher Columbus come in search of the new world, which was a home for the Jews in 1492, and he came to the United States, then the United States has been the only place in the world that the Jewish people have ever settled and they haven't been kicked out of. And there was a great, a lot of lunar activity during that period. Another was the year of the Six Day War, which was uh, just miraculous all the way around. And there was a lot of high peculiar lunar activity in that year. Now then, verse 15 tells us the additional functions of the lights in the heavens. God says in verse 15, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So then, verse 16 says, And God made the two great light holders, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Then, verse 17 says, And God set them. In the firmament of the heaven. Now, talking about the two great lights, the sun and the moon, and all of the stars, God set each and every one of them. And talking about the fact that God having set them, well, it shows the error, and we're going to talk about some doctrine here, but it shows the severe error and lack of understanding of those around the world who have uh, made a God of the sun and of the moon and anything else in the skies. Well, number one, because they didn't make themselves, they didn't set themselves in place, but God set them there. And, you know, it is the, uh, the word set there gives the picture or the impression of, um, if you think of, it it gives the impression of a gemologist, uh, someone who has maybe discovered, or a miner, put it that way, uh, a gemologist or a miner who, a miner of minerals who found a large, Peculiar and very special lump of carbon in the earth. And he found out, wow, this is a spectacular diamond. So he set about to and set fire to it and cut it and all this type of thing. And maybe he cut it into a dozen or maybe even two or three dozen different uh, diamond gemstones. But there was one in particular that he said, oh, this one is so fabulous, it's flawless, the shape, color, all of it. He says, now what is he going to do with it? As beautiful as it is, he said, I need to find a set for it. I need to cut it just right, and I need to fashion it to where it will fit into a certain set. And those of you who have... You know gemstone rings of any kind, and especially if uh, you had if you've had any kind of gemstone, maybe one that you inherited from a loved one or if it was a gift, from a you know fiance, whatever, uh if you have a loose gemstone, then you know that you have to find a set for it, and not just any set will do. But, uh, you know, well, in that same type of way, God very particularly and meticulously set the sun and the moon and all of the stars in their place. And in a certain and specific place in the heavens, uh, just as he uh, Ephesians tells us who he set. In the church, and Jesus talking about Jesus, talking about the uh, uh, that Christ is the head of the church and his uh, fivefold the executive branch of the church, the apostles, uh, prophet, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But he says that God set some in the church in that fivefold executive branch but he set them, and that's that same word. He directly placed certain uh, of his choosing in certain places, and that's why it's very important to be and to settle yourself into that place where you or I have been set and that it can be very dangerous and sometimes even life threatening to attempt to deviate from that place in which we have been set. But, uh, so that, and that again just shows more of the majesty of God that, uh, even in my, one of my notes here says that there is estimated to be, uh, Dr. Uh, Dake of the Dake Bible says that there is estimated to be some forty-four-zero sextillion stars <laughs> in the sky. Now that just—I don't even know how many zeros that is—and just to think that God, the Scripture says, He knows each of them by name. <laughs> Goodness gracious, and He specifically set each one in the heavens. And uh, in relation, now these two great lights, let's talk about the two great lights that God has set to rule over the earth, the sun to rule the day. Now we are talking about day four, and it is very interesting to note, and we're going to go into some doctrine here again. Did you know That, of course, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the capital S-O-N, son, and Jesus was born. Now, of course, he always existed as the word, but he was born and manifested into the earth and he was born of the virgin in the fourth millennium. And so here the physical sun makes its appearance on the fourth day and Jesus Messiah comes into the world as the light of the world on in the fourth millennium. Come on now. Isaiah six and nine says, or excuse me, nine and six says for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And it's interesting here that when we are, when God first introduces us to the son in chapter 1 and verse uh, 16 here, he's talking about the son in the context of rulership that this uh, S-U-N is going to rule over the day, and then as he talks about his son, S-O-N, he is born into the world and Isaiah prophesies of him and speaks of him in the capacity of rulership and that he is uh, talking about the government. He will be the head of a government, Uh, so the physical son will rule the day. And the Messiah, Son of God, S-O-N, is also a ruler. Amen. In what I believe was our second episode, when we talked about God separating the dark from the light, and he, we talked about how the light is also referred to as uh, light, righteousness, and the day. So you are children of the light, walk as children of the light, and children of the day, and you are not children of the night, and so forth. Well, notice here that God says that, he, that the greater light, he set to rule the day. So if we are, we are in Christ and we are children of the day, we represent the day, then Jesus is the one who rules over us. In other words, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So Christ being the Son, he rules the day, i.e., he rules his body. He is the head of the church. But then he said to us, After he told us in Matthew 5, 13, after he told his disciples that they are the salt of the earth, he also told them in verse 14 that they are the light of the world. So you have Jesus, who is the greater light, ruling the day. He's ruling his people. He is ruling the children of the day. And then His children are, we are the lesser light who rule the dark or rule the night. Uh, Let's just develop that a little bit. The sun is a ball of fire. With the intense heat and all of, we don't have to go into all of the, um, the physicality and so forth, all the physical uh, characteristics of the sun, because we studied all of that in school. And if we, anytime we want to study it some more, we can right at our fingertips. But we do know, among other things, that it is a ball of fire. The moon is not a ball of fire. It is not gaseous. The moon is a essentially opaque it is not a light in and of itself again it is opaque but what it does is it just saps up or it soaks up the uh, luminance, luminance or luminescence or the radiance of the sun and then when the sun sets and goes into Its hiding place at the end of the day, the moon gives the light that the moon gives off at night is merely a reflection of what it soaked up from the sun all day. So the moon is the lesser light and it is enough. It's not as bright as the sun, but it's quite enough. It's more than enough to give light and to rule over the night. And so Jesus, clearly he told us that he is the light of the world. But then he went on to tell us that we also are the light. However, he was very clear to qualify all of that and to say we are the light of the world or we will light. We will shine the light into the darkness of the world if and only if we continue in his steps. He told us that if our light is hidden, it benefits no one. Let's read in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. And if we start at verse 13, Jesus begins to tell us about uh, who we are and who he expects us to be. He says, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. Then he said in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Rather, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, so you see uh, think of it this way and a very good way to um, get a good picture uh, if we want to use pictures as an as object lessons think of our obeying Christ and being the light in the darkness of this world as the moon's relationship and the moon's responsibility to reflect the sun and give light to the darkness of night. You know, if the moon decides to abdicate its responsibility and just says, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to separate myself from the sun. I'm going to turn my gaze away from him. Uh, I, he he can just stand there and he can just sit there and burn all he wants to. I'm out of here. I'm out. Well, what would that possibly mean? It would mean that there would be no light at all in the darkness. Can you imagine? I mean, I think we all have been to places where uh, maybe remote areas where there is, Maybe there aren't many street lights and not, not very many city lights. It's pretty much a remote area, the country, as we'd say. Um, well, even in some real dark places like that, physically, you do, generally, you will have the light of the moon. So there will be some light Light. But what if there wasn't? Just imagine if the moon wasn't there. Well, in the same way, if you see the world becomes darker in a spiritual sense, that Christians and people who know Jesus Christ, people who are following the Lord, uh, people who are born again, may be in the earth, but if they're not letting their light shine, if they're not reflecting the light of Jesus Christ, if we're not reading our Bibles, if we're not really fellowshipping with him and, you know, becoming disciples more and more and looking at him and reflecting him more and more, if we're not doing those things and if we're just kind of taking a vacation from Jesus and going off on our own for a while. Well, think about how dark and how dark indeed the world would become. And as a matter of fact, um, Jesus went on to tell us that if the salt loses its savor, it is good for nothing and that's, here we are back in chapter 13. It is, if, if, and it's true, you know, if you have salt in your kitchen and it's way past its expiration date and it doesn't, doesn't season anything, well, throw it away. It's not good for anything. Jesus put it this way. He said, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. And I heard a minister say, I think it was Dr. James Robinson many years ago, who said that the precious things, the precious things in life, some of the fundamentals of society, foundations and underpinnings of society can be trampled underfoot of men and belittled disregarded, made small when the church and God's people do not, when they lose their savor, when the salt loses its savor, when the salt decides to sit down, not speak up, and when we don't let our light shine. Um, well, we just... Don't even want to talk about it. But as Jesus says, you're not you're not doing any good. I am reminded and we can be reminded of a very excellent picture of this is Moses on Mount Sinai when he was with God. Scripture tells us or God says, in fact, he told uh, Aaron and Miriam, uh, Moses, sister and brother, Uh, He told them that, you know, I talked to Moses face to face. And that was actually, you know, God reprimanded them because they dared to uh, speak ill of uh, Moses, who was God's prophet. And God, in that reprimand to them, he told them that uh, I will if there'll be a prophet among you, I'll speak to him. In certain ways, he says, but not so Moses, because I talk to him face to face. Exodus chapter 34 and beginning with verse 29, it says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony, that's the Ten Commandments, in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses knew not that the skin of his face shone while he had talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And this is just a a picture of Moses not being, he's not the light himself, but he had been looking in the face of the light. He had been on the mount with God face to face for all of those days, 40 days, and he came out of the presence of God with his face alit, filled with the glory. So we, in the same way, like the moon, We are the lesser light, with Jesus Christ being the great light, and we must reflect him to the dark world. Well, this may to date be the longest podcast that we've had so far, but there was a lot of information talking about the great lights that God had made and the purpose of all of them, and I just thought it was good to Go ahead and give as much background as possible, because there'd be a lot of those things that uh, many people don't know. But but before we go, there is one more thing that I would like to mention. We touched upon it briefly in verse 17 of chapter one, where again it says, "And God set." And I wanted to just talk a little bit more on that word "set." God set these lights, the sun, moon, and all of the stars in the firmament of the heaven. And just to make this last point, and from a principle or doctrinal standpoint, uh, the principle this sets out in scripture is that God sets another word, or synonym for that word set would also be calls. So God sets, he calls, he appoints any places um the scripture tells us that god called abram so abram is someone he called that's genesis chapter 12 starting there uh god set joseph the son of jacob as the vicar or uh, premier of egypt god he called moses God called Samuel, he called uh Saul of Tarsus, or became you know Paul the Apostle, he chose David. there are many, and then we talked about um those whom God, Ephesians chapter five, whom God set in the church, fivefold ministry God set apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and it is to Just make that point again to um, that the same word for God having set, sent, called, appointed. That's that same word set in Genesis 1, 17. And just to point out the precision of God, uh, how nothing that he sets or appoints is arbitrary in any way, but all with Do, purpose because we all are so very special and meaningful and have purpose with him. Well, may God bless uh, the reading and the hearing of his word today, and I hope and trust that this podcast has been a blessing to you as we discuss day four. Amen thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.